the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is an NBA salary cap luxury tax free agent offseason primer. We're about four days from July 1st. We're about 10 days from July 6th, which is when things can officially become official. And there's a lot to discuss, right? We've got signing trades, restricted free agencies, uh, all the exceptions, the trade exceptions, which have already come into play with the John Collins trade yesterday unofficially. We've got the various caps, the various luxury tax aprons, the new CBA stuff that's getting mixed in some this year, some next year, and even more because it's not really official yet in a lot of cases. We've got what happens to the salary cap right now? What happens to your team's roster right now? What counts? What doesn't count? How do the draft picks factor in? What about the incomplete spots? How do those factor into the salary cap? How does my team look from a practical standpoint, from a maximum standpoint? What the heck is a cap hold? And of course, who's going to get the bag this off, this offseason, right? We've got James Harden, Chris Middleton, Kyrie Irving, just a few names sitting out there. Keith spends the next hour of his life educating the crap out of us with all of these things that he has at the very top of his brain, ready to spit out at a moment's notice. That's why he's here today. I hope you enjoy this. I hope you learn something. I learn something every single time I talk to Keith because the NBA is wild and crazy when it comes to the money. And it's only getting worse with this new CBA. So enjoy Keith Smith. And please, any questions at KeithSmithNBA on Twitter or at SpotTrack on Twitter. Enjoy. Keith Smith is here. He's taking a break from his what, 91 articles this time of year, Keith? It's a, uh, it went from off-season previews to in-season to, to really to, to cap, recapping last season, right? You had to finish off the, the cap projections from last year, uh, throw in a couple of massive trades that were built into last year's model, and then uh, f- immediately fast forward into what is soon to be July 1st and some actual official business for next year. And, uh, and that's what we're going to focus on, which is what the heck actually happens once July 1st hits and these exceptions become available and some teams have them and some teams don't and trades are uh, sometimes require salary matching and sometimes don't. And it's the, uh, it's the rat race that you have to chase on Twitter with, I, I would imagine, dozens of responses, right? Because uh, it's confusing. This is, a, this is a really confusing financial structure that the NBA has offered us. And it's only going to get worse with this next CBA. So we're going to touch on all of this as much as possible and keep it as surfacey as possible as well, Keith. Uh, thanks for joining. How are you? Are you are you healthy right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I you know it's funny. I, I got a really good night's sleep last night. I'm hoping yeah. to get a couple more before things get absolutely bonkers. Starting on uh, Friday night is when you know those will be the late nights and into the you know early morning hours and everything else. But this is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, normally. The NBA is so weird because the finals finish and then the draft is a week later and then free agency is a week after that. Where at least all the other sports, it's like, hey, have a parade and celebrate the champs before we move immediately into, you know, hey, what's next? How, how do we tear that championship team apart and, you know, all, you know, go, go hog wild here with this. I always thought and, it was a disadvantage for the teams that were actually winning, you know, yeah, because they're kind of be. doing three things at once. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked to folks who have made the deep playoff runs, especially the finals runs. And one of the things they say is they they don't feel like they get the full enjoyment out of it, sure. especially if it's a, it's a period of time where you have a lot of uh, draft picks or you 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 know have a big summer coming or those kind of things. You you end up kind of stuck uh, 
in you know the mode of where you're trying to split between enjoying what's happening right now and getting ready for for the summer what's also this year in the league making it crazier is we have a new cba yeah. um which is starting and a whole bunch of of new things so if it wasn't already confusing enough and hard to follow we're adding a whole you know host of new rules and on top of that it is June 27th as we record this. Free agency opens June 30th, and teams and agents and everybody who needs to have it still doesn't have the actual CBA document, mm. um, which is absolutely crazy. We're all still working off a term sheet, and I will shout out partners all over the place that, that work you know, within the NBA, within teams, within agencies, within the Players Association are being awesome about answering questions You know when something comes up uh, or it's like, hey, this is in the term sheet, but I need more detail. They're being great about it, but it is kind of all over the place. You know, to that point, um, Major League Baseball recently redid their CBA and it was finalized uh, just before the opening April 1st day this year we still don't have that document keith so yeah. so if we're, if the nba is asking for you know before the league year good luck because major league baseball and their lawyers are are, are months behind in terms of putting that out to the general public and really i've spoken to agents they're not seeing the the finalized documents either so it's probably a lot of back and forth like you're talking about in many of these sports right now and it's it's complicated right there's the gambling stuff has to be really tricky yeah. right now tripping over a lot yeah. of those um, there's a lot of mistakes being made that maybe amendments have to be written in for right now. So I have to imagine there's just a lot of things happening at the same time, but, uh, we appreciate having your pipeline for sure, because <laughs> we're getting fed some of that information and it's really helping us establish some of these numbers as we go through here. Speaking of yeah, which, we'll do our best. yeah, you are, I know you are. Um, speaking of which let's, let's really dumb this thing down a little bit as much as possible and, and try to educate the world a little bit on this as we approach. July 1st and and when things become real for 2023. Um, a question I get a lot about you do too is what actually counts come July 1st? There's the NFL, Keith, I don't know if you know this, has two different versions of the salary cap, one for the off season and one for in season, yep. um, where 51 count now, all 90 plus count at, at some point in time. Um, is, th is there some sort of back and forth with the NBA like that where certain things kind of fall off in the offseason and then pick up come week one? It, kind of, but not in anywhere near as meaningful a way as there is in the NFL. So in the NBA, um, when when the year ticks over to July 1st, mm -hmm. What counts is obviously actual contracts, right? That's that's the simple one, right? So if a guy is being paid $20 million, in 99.9% .9 of the time, he's going to count as $20 million on the books. There, there's every once in a while, they may count as a different number for salary matching and a trade and those kind of things. But on the actual salary sheet, it's whatever the salary is um, towards the salary cap. If they are, if they have bonuses in there that aren't factored into their to their actual salary number right now, those those may be in place to uh, in there as a placeholder against the tax line because mm -hmm. those tax uh, tax aprons, which there are two now, um, those are the uh, de facto hard caps as well for the league. So what happens is you have to account for everything because you can't make a whole bunch of moves, then some guy, you know, hits 40% of his three-pointers, and now you're over the tax apron. Um, because once you are hard-capped, you cannot go over that apron. So, amount. Keith, let me jump in. There's no there's no sure. adjustment at the end? You have to account for it all, all the way through the season in the yep. event that it happens? 
Correct. Yes. Towards the tax. Now towards the cap, every once in a while teams will, they'll finagle their salary cap number where it's a slightly lower number because they'll add a bonus in Mm. and they can sign another player. Uh, Very famously, the Brooklyn Nets did that uh, to probably to their regret in the end, bring in DeAndre Jordan because he was friends with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, And that contract obviously didn't even get to the end before they traded it. Um, But they took both took a little less in, um, immediate money by building in some, they, they were really creative with it. They built in dummy incentives where they knew they would earn them. Cause if we remember right, Kevin Durant hadn't played the prior season. So they put in incentives. Like I want to say it was like has to play in 20 games. And they obviously knew that was going to happen. So then he earned it, but those still counted towards the tax uh, calculations so that they were covered if they got super expensive later. So you've got your actual salary on the books. You also have these super complicated things called cap holds, which are, you know, everybody you know, loves if you're me and everybody hates if you're just a fan of the team. So what you can't do in the NBA, you can't just go through and look at, you know, I'm going to, because it's looking me in the face, the Chicago Bulls cap sheet and add up, you know, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine salaries and say, all right, here we are. This is how much cap space we have. Uh, not exactly. Because what the NBA does is they have this thing called a cap hold. So Nikola Vucevic, who made $22 million last season, still counts on the Bulls' books at $33 million this offseason. Because what the cap hold is designed to do in most cases is replicate what a fair value contract offer could be for a player whose contract is expired. The reason they do that is because the NBA works under a soft cap where you can exceed the salary cap by using bird rights. And what bird rights are very simply is it allows you to pay your own free agent various amounts. There's non-bird, early bird, and full bird. In a full bird right situation, you can pay your own free agent anything you want all the way up to his max salary. So what happens in this case is they don't want a team, like remember when the Heat came together and they wanted to sign James and Bosch? Well, you got to have Dwayne Wade count for something on the books because if he doesn't count for anything, then all of a sudden it's signed LeBron James, Chris Bosch, and somebody else who is a free agent that summer, and then just re-sign Dwayne Wade and off we go. And, At the last you know, minute, right? Because exactly. it doesn't matter, right? Yep, because it doesn't matter because you have his full bird rights. So, so every player who comes off a contract gets a cap hold assigned to them. And then if the team decides, you know, we don't want that player, they can do a process called renouncing that cap hold. That's what happens when you hear a team's going to have cap space. It's pretty rare. There's maybe one or two teams that kind of hit the offseason with cap space anyway. Most cases, they're going to have to renounce somebody to knock that cap hold off the books, and then that frees up the cap space. Or if the player, let's use Vucevic as an example, if he signs with another team, that cap hold obviously comes off the Bulls' right. books because he's no longer uh, tied to them by any means. So that's that's the, the kind of mechanism to make sure teams can't just go sign whoever they want under the sun with no penalty at all against it. When will we start to hear about these renouncements? Probably you'll hear some of it leading up over the next few days going in. Um, And you'll hear some of them from guys like me um, who will say (laughs) in order to do X signing, uh, this team will have to renounce a player. So, for example, uh, you know, a team like the Detroit Pistons, you know, we will get to the point where, okay, if they really want to have 
$30 million in cap space and they're going to go sign a free agent, they're going to have to renounce some of the guys who are on their books with cap holds of nearly $10 million. Sure. And those are the things that I'll you know, be kind of repeatedly reporting on. Officially, none of that stuff will happen until July 6th at the earliest because that's when the moratorium lifts. So the NBA does this thing where free agency negotiations open June 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern, which for East Coast guys like us is the greatest change they've ever made because mm-hmm. we're no longer up till midnight for it to start. So that's when it starts. The league year itself turns over on July 1st. So that's when all the new salary cap numbers will come into play. Everything reverts into to the 23-24 season. But then they go into what's called a moratorium, which in the moratorium, there's very few things that can be done um, during that period of time as far as official transactions. Right. So what happens is a few days later on July 6th at noon, the moratorium lifts, and that's when you'll see, all right, T-Max is signing a player, and you'll see they renounce a bunch of guys. Or like Oklahoma City already has a trade in place to acquire Davis Bertans from the Dallas Mavericks. Right. They're going to renounce some free agents in order to create the space they need necessary to go bring in Davis Bertans um, into their salary sheet. So those are the sorts of things you're going to see happen um, right around the 6th or you know within a day or so of that. And just one final point on this, because I think there's some confusion around this as well. Uh, those cap holds are not rostered financial salaries, right? Those Correct. players are actually free agents right now. They just have this placeholder on their previous team yep. for this for the reasons you stated. But it's not it's not impeding their ability to go sign anywhere else right now. You know what I mean? No, that's absolutely correct. So the team I've been using as an example to explain this right now, I know I've written and put out there that Sacramento Kings can have $35 million or so in cap space mm-hmm. this summer. In order to do that, they're going to have to renounce Harrison Barnes because at this moment, he is a $27.5 million cap hold right. that will be sitting on the Kings books. So until they either renounce him, he signs somewhere else, or they sign him to a new uh, contract, they would not be able to have cap space because that number sits and takes up a chunk of that cap space. Okay, smooth transition here into something that you and uh, and Scott have created on the NBA pages on SpotTrack.com, which is the practical max cap space, right? Which is this number that... It's we're not just projecting this thing based out of you know out of nowhere out of the clouds right this is work that <laughs> this is this is work that you've done and kind of continue to do on a on a daily weekly basis here that sort of assumes some of those decisions right whether it's an option whether it's a cap hold and gets to it gets a team to a point where they can either logically intelligently have cap space or logically intelligently get to a decent negative cap space, which is really most of the league, right? But that's not just a, a calculated value. You're actually projecting with some assumption what the team might do this offseason, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I do is I go through and I kind of I'm constantly tweaking and refining uh, these cap space projections into a spot where it is all right, I think this is what's going to happen with this option. I think this one gets picked up. This one gets declined. This contract gets guaranteed. This player gets waived. Um, working in all the same real rules that the teams will be working under. I'm just trying to get to a number where it is, right? The number most people ultimately at the end of the day care about is how much money can my team spend? Right. And what, what I'm trying to get to is, all right, let me help you get to that number to understand what they could do. And now there's plenty of times when one, I'm wrong. An option decision goes another way. They maybe uh, make a trade instead, like the Utah Jazz. I had been sitting on $47 million in projected cap space. 
They went ahead and traded for John Collins, or will officially here in a week or so. Um, but they went ahead and traded for John Collins, and by bringing in John Collins, now the Jazz are going to be sitting on you know less than that, probably about 24 million or so in cap space in that range. So those are the things that happen. So what I do is I make the projections. It's funny Scott and I were cracking up about it because I did my final one, posted it, and I don't even know if it was two hours later that John <laughs> John Collins news broke. But what we do then is I just refine offline and then what we'll do is when it actually happens then we start putting everything together to what's really playing out and that gives us a sense of how much cap space is is left and able to be spent and maintained and all those kind of things by teams yeah it's that's why there's four numbers i I get that i get asked that (laughs) question a lot but they all make sense they all have a purpose right there's an actual there's sort of an actual reality uh, there's a possible reality, which is sort of what yep. you're referencing there. And then there's just a maximum reality. If they just renounce everybody and kind of go full bore, you know, decline every option, we show that number as well for teams that I don't think we've ever actually had that happen, a, a complete rip down in one off season like that. Oh, man, it, that's my dream. I like, love it. <laughs> I, I want a team to go into a summer. It's like every time a team's cap sheet has like one or two contracts left, I'm like, just go, go into a summer with, Absolutely nothing on the books. Like I would love it. Now, even in that case, so let's say the salary cap is $150 million, which believe it or not, we're going to be there very, very quickly here. If it was $150 million, a team would not have $150 million in cap space. Again, because the NBA has to be super confusing. What they would actually do in that case is you would have 12 minimum salary holds put against your cap space because Basically, they're saying, hey, you have to have at least 12 guys on a roster minimum. Um, it, it's really in reality, it's more than that because of league wide minimum rules and the like. But you have to have at least 12 guys under contract or under contract plus cap holds or whatever it is. So you got to have that on your books. So they would put 12 things. So let's say the minimum was just to make it easy math, a million dollars. They would have $12 million already on their books working against the 150 million. So just, you know, even then you couldn't get to all the way to zero, but that, that does remain my dream. Yeah. The and lowest possible roster, right? I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Maybe that's what the Lakers will look like post LeBron. <laughs> it's funny. They're the ones right now that have like the closest yeah. ability because they have such little long-term money, but that'll all dry up this summer when Austin Reeves gets signed and everything else. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, last thing on this, we just had a draft, uh, 58 players, I think, just joined the league essentially yep. uh, without contracts, but some of them have cap holds. How do draft picks and rookies impact salary caps starting July 1st? Yeah, so this one's kind of interesting. So with first round picks, they go on to the cap sheet as soon as the, the pick is made. Um, they, they drop into the cap sheet for that next league year at 120% of their scale amount. So meaning if, if the full rookie scale amount was $10 million in first year salary. The cap hold would be 11.2 because they, they go on at 120% of that, that amount. The reason it's 120% is rookies can sign for anywhere between 80% on the low end Mm. to 120% on the high end of the preset scale amount. And that scale amount was set a number of years ago, and then it rises by the same percentage the cap rises. So if the cap goes up 10%, it goes up 10%. So now why they made it 120%, what teams used to do, and this is kind of going back a few years, but what they used to do was they would wait because that extra 1.2 million in the example I used 
might be the difference in signing a player or not signing a player. But then what would happen is now we're two weeks into to the off season where a week in a summer league, a guy hasn't signed his contract and he's basically saying, I'm not playing in summer league mm. if you know, I don't have a contract. So what they did because 99.9% of the players sign for the 120% once about every three or four years, someone will sign for less than that. And it's usually a pre like, Hey, you want to be a first round pick? Will you take less? Cause we've got some kind of cap issue or whatever it is coming up. So we need a little less money on the books. And then they prearrange that to draft that player. But most guys sign for the 120. So that's what goes on the books for a first round pick. And then that removes the, the reason for the player to sign or not sign. Second round picks have no cap hold until they actually sign their contract. There, there's no cap hold for them that gets put against, against the team as far as the salary cap goes. What's interesting in this year, in the new CBA, they introduced a thing called the second-round pick exception, which for a second-round draft pick now, you can actually sign them using an exception amount, and that gives them a contract that will be between three and four years in length. And what happened, where that grew out of, what teams used to do was they would carve out a portion of one of their other signing exceptions to give a a second-round pick longer than a two-year contract because a minimum uh, contract can only be, if you're using what's called the minimum exception, can only be for two years in length. So if you wanted to sign a player for three or four years, what they would do is they would give those players – a little bit of money out of maybe their taxpayer mid-level exception or something like that. So what they do now is they go back into that spot and they say, all right, we're going to, you know, sign the player. So what they, you know, would carve some of that out. And then that's less money that can go to somebody in the taxpayer. So what happens in this situation with this is they created the second round pick exception. And then they added one other tweak to it. So not only does it now mirror the type of contract the player we're getting anyway, which is great for them and the team, and then leaves that other exception full for another player to sign, they made it so that if you sign a player by the second-round pick exception, it doesn't count against the salary cap until July 31st. So why they did that was they're trying to make sure, hey, that, that roughly $2 million that you're signing the player for, doesn't fall on your salary cap and you, you, you have no reason to delay signing them. Um, and which then would, again, would keep them out of summer league and things because we're going to put in this little, uh, you know, thing that says, Hey, it doesn't count for basically a month. And then that gets them through summer league. Then we're going to drop that amount on your books and off we go. We all move forward. So it's actually a really good wrinkle to avoid, well, we got to delay signing the guy because we want to use that that exception to do so. Is is that the big reason for this? Were, were teams just just holding those players kind of hostage throughout the summer? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And, it was sometimes, and it's also it just gets a little bit more money into the system as a whole, right? Yeah, you're, that's right. You're now, yeah, you're introducing this whole thing where just sign these guys and then save that two million that you were carving out for one of these second rounders. Hey, now that can go to another player instead mm-hmm. of that player getting ten million they get 12 million and everybody gets a little bit more money this way. Is it about getting those players to summer league too, Keith? Because that's, that's a big part a of it. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, the NBA wants, you know, guys who are first, second, sometimes third year guys, they really want them if they're able playing as much as possible in summer league. And you get it right. Like a guy like Victor Wembanyama, whose season ended like a week ago yeah. in France, he's probably going to come in, make a cameo appearance, play a game or two and be done. 
but for the most part, they want they want to remove all the barriers to anything. Why where a player's like, ah, I'm not signed yet, so I'm not taking the court because I'm not gonna go out there, you know, risk an injury, then lose out on a contract because I got hurt. Like I want to be in position to be taken care of, even if I do get hurt. I know there was a two-way contract change as well. I don't know the full semantics of it, but do you think that we're, or they're at least with this CBA starting to ramp up for what will be an actual minor league system for the NBA? I think we're getting closer for yeah, sure. Feels um, like it. Yeah. In the two-way contract is there's a third one. Now there, there used to be two. Now there's going to be a third one. Um, but in order to sign a third one, you have to have a full regular roster. If the NBA as a whole doesn't achieve, um, it's like almost full rosters all the time. The players association association has the ability to kill the, the two, the third two way. And they can say that goes away because there is a, there is a belief among some agents and some players that what teams have done is they've replaced signing guys to standard contracts or 10 day contracts or whatever, because they have these two way deals and they feel like, well, I can get, you know, 50 games out of my two way player. I don't really need to sign, you know, somebody else to another deal. So if the league doesn't hit league wide minimum roster requirements, the players association can say no more third two way and it goes away. So because of that, I think you'll see everybody will sign the three two ways and they'll keep their rosters up to snuff Um, with that. They also changed because they added a third two way. Every team can now take 21 players into the offseason instead mm. of 20, um, which is a slight, slight change there, which just, you know, it doesn't hamper a team on doing anything else. So that's what the two ways. But to answer the other part of your question about the, the, the um, minors, one of the things that had to be in place, and Adam Silver said this regularly, was they had to have a full 30-team affiliated affiliate. Uh, there, the only team because Portland's new G League team starts uh, this this uh, upcoming season. The only team without a direct G League affiliate team is the Phoenix Suns. Mm. And Matt Ishbia, the new Suns owner, has already said, you know, we will have a team. We've just got a couple other things we got to take care of first. <laughs> yeah. So as long as they get to the thirty teams, you're going to have that. And I think I think that will eventually, probably now the next CBA, it'll be tied into some form of draft reform where that may be how we get the um, the minimum age flipped where it is, hey, you can you can come in right out of high school, but if you do that, you're going to spend a year in the G League or whatever. And then that also ties the G League team even more so to the NBA team. And I think that, you know, increases fan interest. I mean, we all know, right, Major League Baseball, everybody, you know, if you love your team, you at least have a pretty good handle on who a handful of prospects are, yeah. you know, down in the minors. So I think that's where the NBA would like to get to, too. But that's that's a whole other show down the line because that's yeah. all spectacular. No, I, I love it. Uh, expanded draft. Is that kind of what you're hitting at? I think so. I think we may see a third round of the oh, draft nice. come, you know, eventually where it is. And it may even be any player drafted in the third round has to spend X amount of time in the G League or something like that, where, you know, again, it's just we're tying these players more to the NBA team versus the G League being a whole bunch of free agents. Hmm. And really interesting. All right. Back to the, uh, the, the league at hand here. Um, Let's talk about some trades. Again, we've had different varieties of these already in the last week and a half. <laughs> um, we're going to see more and more variety, I would assume, right? I think one of the more popular ones, and maybe that's diminishing, you can tell me yes or no, is the the sign and trade, right? If uh, there's a situation, let's just say James Harden, for example, does choose Houston and the Philadelphia 76ers agree to a sign and trade scenario with them and, he, and the Rockets. Uh, how does that work? What happens on both sides of that equation? 
And, uh, and I guess, is that going to be a diminishing thing now with this second apron? Yeah, it's interesting. So sign and trades used to be super popular. If we went back about 10 years ago, they used to be a big way because what happened was again, 10 years ago, you might have one or two teams each summer that had cap space and almost everybody else was completely capped out because the cap wasn't growing by all that much and teams were handing out big contracts then everybody was getting there. So what would happen if a player wanted to change teams, a sign and trade was the, the mechanism to do so. And the other team would, would make them the offer and they would go. The league cut into the sign and trades in the CBA, a couple of CBAs ago where they said, Hey, you can't now get more than what you could get from signing with the team outright using cap space. So that's part one. Part two in a sign and trade became all right, we're in a spot where it turns into, um, you know, we, we, we're going to add in this tax apron restriction where if you're above the tax apron, uh, the first apron that is, you cannot do a sign and trade. Um, you're not allowed. If you do a sign and trade and you're under the apron, you become, and you acquire the player by sign and trade, to be clear, um, you become hard capped at the apron. So what they've done is they've they've reduced some of the effectiveness of a sign and trade. It just became more difficult to acquire a player that way. Then we got into an environment where every summer there's five, six, seven teams with cap space, and it became less neat to do sign and trades because teams would would align. They'd know, all right, you know, Kevin Durant's a free agent in two years. Let's make sure we have enough cap space to go sign him. And they would line everything up for that. What they've done now in this uh new their new NBA is um, those other sign and trade restrictions still exist, but now with this whole second apron and all that, that's going to get more restrictive on teams um, sending guys out via sign and trade and all those sorts of things. So you can still do sign and trades. There's still going to be plenty of them that happen. It's just very restrictive to do this now. Is it about restricting great teams from acquiring great players this way, or is it about, enhancing free agency and the need for cap space some more uh, a little bit of both yeah. um they're, they're definitely part of what they don't want is um teams loading up through sign and trade process where they already have you know the phoenix suns now already have you know a million guys on their roster they don't want them signing and trading for somebody else by then putting together five salaries and going. And then, you know, teams have five guys who make $30 million. There's only so much as we saw with the Suns that you could do to, to control that, um, that will go slightly differently with that. But yeah, but that is something you have to watch. It's also too. Yeah. I think they want to spread talent around a little bit more if possible and have, you know, guys, you know, in, induce parity into that way. So it's been a multi-phase process, but we are seeing sign and trades come back into vogue. And one of the things that's been interesting is it used to never be that there was a sign and trade into cap space. That was like, why would we bother? Right. If we were the team, we can just sign the guy. Now what happens is you'll see teams um, and I'm putting air quotes around pay, but they will pay teams to do a sign and trade by saying, Hey, we'll give you two second round picks. If you're nothing changes, right? The, the Boston Celtics did this with Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward signed with the Charlotte Hornets. The Celtics said, hey, let's do it as a sign and trade. Nothing changes on the Hornets side. Yeah, they got hard capped, but they were miles away from the apron anyway. So it didn't matter. So what they did, though, the Celtics said, we'll give you two second rounders to take Gordon Hayward in a sign and trade instead. And they created a nearly at the time $30 million trade exception. 
um, at that time. So that's 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 something that is fairly new. That's only you know, a couple years of that that we've been seeing those kind of things. Okay. Uh, any other restrictions with the sign-in trade? Can can it be a two-for-one scenario? Can you include other players? Can you have more than two teams involved in a sign-in trade, or is that restricted? Yeah, no, it works the same as any other trade. You, you know, the only rules around a, a sign and trade is when you sign and trade a player, the deal that they're signing with the new team has to be for at least three seasons um, long in the first, but only the first season needs to be fully guaranteed. We've seen players put into sign and trade deals before. Uh, Keith Bogans very famously was put into a sign and trade deal. Um basically only his matching salary. Um, and then the the first year, I want to say was at like six or $7 million he got. And then the two years after that were fully non-guaranteed and he got waived and was was caught loose because he was only in there to help uh, meet the salary matching requirements mm. to make the trade work. So you can do it. We've seen double sign-in trades. The Warriors and Nets did that with Kevin Durant for D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, there, there's all, all sorts of options that you can play with as long as you meet all the, all the rules you know, for a sign-in trade. Okay, let's just go to general trades now, um, which sure. which is kind of what we're talking about here anyway. It's just this one. Let's just say this involves you know players that are actively rostered with a contract. Um, so the Dame Lillard conversation, right? Not that that hasn't come up every second. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of rules are in place for NBA trades? I, I, there's obviously a salary matching scenario, but not all the time, right? There's yep. we, We've seen four-team trades become more prevalent in this league over the past couple off-seasons. Um, just kind of walk us through some of these scenarios and, and how the money gets involved and how teams are starting to figure out how to game this thing a little bit, right? We're getting, I think we're getting extremely creative with these trades because it's become the way to build rosters for the most part in this league. In the new CBA, they're trying to make trading less restrictive. So what happens in today's world, you, you match salary, but you can then it's very rare that we get the the small salary trades where it's like under $10 million. Um, it's almost more than $10 million is going out. So in those cases, what happens is you can trade out that amount of money if you're a non-taxpaying team, plus you get a little bit of a uh, bump on top of that. Mm. Where what, what that bump does is that bump is – you either get 125% of the outgoing salary added to it. So if it's a you know, $10 million trade, you can actually take $12.5 million back in that case. Um, plus you get $100,000 just as this little extra to, I guess, That's my wheels. favorite part. Just toss it right? in there. <laughs> so, um, or if you're, if you're kind of in the mid range type salary, you could get 10 million outgoing salary plus 5 million. So 10 million goes out, you get five, 5 million added that's your 15 million so i should have used 20 million as my other example better uh 20 million gets you 25 million but what they're doing in the new cba is they're making it even less restrictive one of the things that they're going to do is the 175 percent or let, let me go back that's for the tax teams mm-hmm. that, that where, where there's a um where, where there is a 125 percent that will now uh, increase, uh, or sorry, 175% will now increase up to 200% um, in, in a trade for, for those tax teams. So you're you're loosening it up. They can still make some trades there. The teams that, that 10 million plus 5 million example I use, that'll now be 10 million plus 7.5 million. Now that 100K uh, uh, little bonus on the end, that now goes up to 250,000. Mm. Let's use a real world example. From yesterday, the 
the Jazz trade, where, where Rudy Gay is being sent from the Jazz to the Hawks, and John Collins is being sent uh, from the Hawks to the Jazz. Rudy Gay's contract, when he picked up his option, was $6.5 million. The Hawks had a... Um, had a uh, salary or had a traded player exception of about six point three million. The hundred thousand wasn't enough, right? It just was just shy. It was about a hundred k shy of bringing in, being able to bring in Rudy Gay. That trade will get delayed till July sixth, and what will happen is then it'll be two hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. Now Rudy Gay will go into that. That will allow the Hawks to create a new giant trade exception for John Collins of $25.3 million because they're going to trade his entire salary into uh, the Utah Jazz's cap space, which will come with uh, various things that they're going to have to do to create that cap space. So that kind of ties together our first couple of topics we talked about. Yeah, that's a, that's that's pretty inside baseball stuff right there. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that, that's fun. Um, you know, but for the most part, you know, the trade machines are really good. Uh, that you can use various ones that, you know, ours is great on the site. If you, you, you play with our roster management tool, um, you know, it's, it's really good. And I know, you know, Scott's working on updating all the stuff for, you know, cause we're living in two worlds, right? Right now, these are the rules for four more days. And then all the rules change into a whole new set. Um, so he's working on that, but the trade machines are generally pretty good. Um, you know, we're with that of telling you, nope, you're not there salary wise. And they usually are pretty good about saying you're off by 2 million or whatever. Right. All right, let's get into it. This is the worst part of the of the whole conversation. <laughs> These damn exceptions, Keith. I love um, them. I know you do. I know you do. And by the way, they're they're as big as ever. I mean, these teams yep. that have absolutely no room and they're they're over the luxury tax threshold and it's all about the super tax next. This is how they <laughs> this is where they live. They're yep. they're they're making moves just to be able to unlock themselves an exception so that they can sign one notable player right now and continue on with their lives for the next season. That's really where, what, the top 10 teams in the league are, are living right now. Um, so just kind of run through this thing as smoothly as possible and, and give us the variations of the mid-level and, and when the biannual comes into, into play and all that stuff. Yeah, so we talked about how most of the league is over the cap. Right. So what, they, what would happen if you were over the cap is you would basically say, well, I guess we can sign our draft picks and some minimum salary guys and that's it. As an aside, that's exactly what's going to happen to the super tax teams. So the teams that are way over the tax apron, that's all they'll be able to do is they will only be able to, the second tax apron, to be clear, they will only be able to sign draft picks and sign players to minimum contracts and resign their own guys. Right. And of course, make trades with, as I mentioned before, a whole bunch of restrictions on them. For the other teams, so if you are living in the world where we're over the cap, which this summer is 136 million. So if you're at you know 140 million, but we're way under the tax, mm -hmm. you get what's called the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. You'll hear this referred to as the full MLE or often just the MLE. This year, they plussed that up. They made it stronger. They gave it a, a more value. It's going to be $12.4 million this year. Um, so that $12.4 million contract, you can offer that to one player for $12.4 million. It can run up to four years with 5% raises on it. Or you can split it up and say, we're going to sign somebody, two guys for $6 million apiece. And again, those contracts can run out for four years uh, with 5% raises. So that's the, the non-taxpayer mid-level. There's another version called the taxpayer mid-level. Um, that taxpayer mid-level this year is $5 million. 
that $5 million taxpayer mid-level comes in if you are. You would think if you're over the luxury tax, but no, we got to make it a little bit more complicated <laughs> than that. It's if you're over the, the first tax apron. So if you're over the first tax apron, you get this $5 million. Here's your challenge. If you spend that, you get hard capped at the second tax apron. There's only a, wind, a wiggle room of $10.5 million there. So if you if you had the full ten and a half million of wiggle room, you could probably make it work, right? Because that's still five and a half million left. You you figure it out. But if you're sitting there with only you know seven million in wiggle room, that gets a little bit tight. And if you're hard capped at an apron, be it the first or the second, that's it. You cannot go over that number by even a dollar. Right. Uh, we saw the Lakers and the Clippers uh, in the last few years have to play games with this, where it was all right, wave a guy. All right, we're going to have to wait three days to sign it, or we're going to do a 10-day contract, and we're going to have to wait mm -hmm. five days to sign another 10-day contract because they were hard-capped at, at the apron. Um, so that's your taxpayer mid-level. Um, the other uh, two ex signing exceptions are the biannual exception. The reason it's called biannual, you can only use this exception every other year. So if you used it last year, the Miami Heat did that, um, they cannot use it this year. Um, they will not have that available to them. The Philadelphia 76ers used it last year to sign Daniel House. They will not have it available to them this year. But if you have it available, that's an additional $4.5 million um, the exception that you can sign, sign someone with. And in the case of the biannual exception, it's a two-year contract that you can give out. The tax, I didn't say it, that is also only a two-year contract. Then you have this other exception called the room exception. Mm. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's if you have cap room. So what they did with the room exception is if you had, if you're the Houston Rockets and you have $60 million in cap space, the NBA basically says, Hey, go hog wild, spend your 60 million. Guess what? You also get a bonus exception of $7.7 million. I got to jump in and ask out. why this still exists, Keith. <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird. I think yeah. it's again, let's introduce more money into the system, right? Let's, let's introduce more money, more availability. And we know teams can't help themselves, right? They're going to, they're, if, if they have it to spend, they're going to spend it. So I think what they've done is let's juice the system a little bit more. We're going to introduce a little bit more money into the system. Is, what it, they all, is it as easy oh, as saying that generally, if you have cap space, you're a bad team and, and we just want to give you an, a little bit more help in hand here to get better. Is it, is it a parody conversation? Really? Yeah. More often than not, they're bad teams. Like the Sacramento yeah. Kings aren't in that boat. Sure. You're either a bad team or you're a team that is, um, you, you, you came to prominence earlier than anyone expected. Mm. Uh, the Celtics a few years ago when they got really good, uh, those years kind of second, third years with Brad Stevens, they had cap space and they were able to get Al Horford, then get Gordon Hayward. Um, in back-to-back -back years while already being a really good team, but it was because most of the rest of their roster was on rookie-scale contracts and the like. That's kind of where the Thunder are sitting right now. Yeah. That's also kind of where the Sacramento Kings are sitting right now this summer. But in general, yeah. I mean, if you look at the list of teams that have cap space, it's Houston, Detroit, and it's, it's all the teams that picked in the top five of the draft yeah. um, for the most part. So, so they give you that little bonus, that room exception. That can be up to a three-year contract. On top of that. So so those are your three signing exceptions. Then you have one other thing called a trade exception. A traded trade or traded player exception is what the real term is, or a TPE. In those situations, those exceptions are um, 
like we talked about, the Hawks are going to create a $25 million one for John Collins. You can trade for any player or any combination of players that fit within that trade exception amount, plus whatever the little bump is. Now it's $250,000. So you could trade for those players, bring them in, and off you go. And now you've used that trade exception. Trade exceptions can also be used as long as, again, the player's salary fits within the trade exception amount to claim a player off waivers. They made an additional tweak in the new CBA. The non-taxpayer MLE, the room exception, the taxpayer, the biannual, those can all now be used as well as trade exceptions. Mm. So if you get into the year and you there's nobody you want to sign for $12 million, but boy, there's a $12 million guy I'd like to trade for, you can now use that exception to trade for a player that is a brand new uh thing that they have added in that will start with with this uh that actually starts with the 24 25 season so that's not going to be a thing for this summer but a year from now that that will come into play okay three bullet points and then we'll move on here uh at no point in time can any of these exceptions be combined, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, you cannot add them together to sign more money. You cannot add them together to trade for more money. You also, in the case of a, now that all these things can be used in trades, you cannot aggregate them together, which basically means combine with a uh, player salary to bring in more money. Okay. Can you use them all in the same year though? So you either have the non-taxpayer, the taxpayer, or the room. Everybody gets one of three, unless you're already over the super tax apron. And that's going to start right now, this, well, not right now, but four days from now, uh, when this offseason turns to to, uh, the next year, that those teams, so the Warriors, the Clippers, they won't even have that $5 million exception to spend. That'll be off the table. They don't even get it. So, But everybody else will have one of the three. Uh, If you're over the tax apron, um, you obviously, you like we said, you drop to the taxpayer mid-level. You also lose the biannual exception mm. in that case. Now, one other thing is once you've established which one of these you get, it doesn't keep flip-flopping back and forth. If you downgrade to a lower exception, think of the non-taxpayer as the highest. Once you go down to another level, um, if that went into uh, you then became a room exception team, you don't then, when you sign guys or trade for guys and end up back over the cap, you don't get back the non-taxpayer. You stay at the room exception. So with this new CBA starting in the next season, not this upcoming, because you can use these as TPEs now, Keith, is there a point in the season where they expire? They So they don't expire, but what they do is they prorate. Um, in January, they start prorating by day. Um, the, the money comes off of each one of them, a daily value mm-hmm. comes down, they come down in value with the exception of trade exceptions. Those always stay at their full value until a portion or all of it is used. Um, trade exceptions are valuable for one year after creation. So in the John Collins case, let's say that trade goes in as soon as it can on July 6th, the Hawks will have till July 6th of 2024 to use that trade exception before it expires. But the signing exceptions all do prorate down accordingly starting in January. Mm, that sounds like more programming work for Scott, Keith. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, it keeps him busy. He gives him something oh, to get ready. Man. He's just hanging out anyway, yeah, right? Yeah, so, just, re- just yeah. revamping the trade machine. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. He's only rebuilding major parts of the yeah, site. No Whatever. big deal. <laughs> Uh, let's switch gears because that was a headache, but look, it's important. Like we talked about, it's going to be 
the driving force for a lot of a lot of franchises over the next two weeks uh, in terms of those exceptions. We talked about the highs of these finances. What about the lows? I, I know a floor exists. Can you break down yeah. the semantics of the floor? Is it a cash floor? Is it a cap floor? Is there a tax floor? Is it all of the above? And is it year by year? Or is this something that you can kind of punt on one year, but then catch up in year two and still be good in terms of the NBA? Yeah. And so to answer the last part first, it's year by year. Okay. Every year in the NBA is treated basically as its own event as far as the salary cap is concerned. Um, so what happens in this case with this uh, salary floor, uh, it is 90% of whatever the salary cap is. So again, because I'm a simple guy, if the cap was $100 million, the salary floor is $90 million. Teams have to spend up to the salary floor. If they don't spend up to the salary floor, mm -hmm. what happens in that situation is – they would take in the San Antonio Spurs or in this this spot right now. They did not spend to the floor last year. So what happens is they then take whatever the difference was. Let's say they were 10 million shy. The the team and the players association negotiates how that $10 million will be spread across the roster of the players who were on the Spurs roster uh, to begin with. In the future, there will be be more real restrictions and penalties for not spending up to the floor. So what's going to happen um, in, in, in when the CBA is fully implemented, and this is another thing that I believe starts in 24, 25, is if you don't spend up to the salary floor, um, what will happen is day one of the, the regular season starts. So the offseason is now over. We are now in season. Let's say you're 10 million under the floor. You are going to get a cap hold put on your cap sheet mm. for $10 million. So effectively, you might as well spend it. Now, you still, if let's say that carried all the way through the year and you never spent that $10 million, you're still going to have to pay that $10 million to to the players on your team. So you might as well just spend it you know, in the offseason. That's what they're trying to introduce here is let's spend money in the offseason. The other piece is if you're not at the floor, you will not share in the luxury tax, um, uh, you know, sharing. So what that's happens a huge is one. that's massive. So what happens is every team that pays the luxury tax, let's say there's a hundred million in luxury tax penalties that in there were 10 teams in the tax, that hundred million gets divvied up amongst the other 20 teams and every team takes in a chunk. You will not get that. So what they've done is they have locked in hard on the top level teams. And that's been where, 90% of the focus has been in the reporting around the new CBA is they're really going to make it hard for those teams to keep adding talent once they're that expensive. But the other thing they've done is they've pushed the, the lower spending teams. They're trying to push them up. They're trying to push everybody more towards the middle so that everybody is playing with a more even playing field than there had been. You still have the options because it is a soft cap. To spend a ton of money, you still have the option to spend not a lot of money, but there are going to be penalties and restrictions that come along with this. Uh, baseball really missed out on this one. They really screwed the pooch on this one, Keith. They could have done at least half of this and made it at least a semblance of a, of a parity system, but they're a mess right now. Yeah, and then there might still be a team in Oakland had they uh, <laughs> yeah. done that. But you never know. Story. You never know. <laughs> Um, one more question on this. I think, yeah. you, I think you alluded to it. Yes, there's this day one regular season cap hold. Uh, that starts in 18 months here. But what about it, it, the final calculation? Is it still the last day of the regular season? 
Yeah, so what they do is they take a snapshot on the final day of the regular season, and that's what everything is based off of for your did you meet the floor? Did you did you know were you a tax team? How much over the tax were you? That's all based on the final day of the regular season. That continues forward in the new CBA. Because what they're trying to do is, as we've seen, there's been a handful of trades in the last week or so before the league year changes over. They're not gonna let you get out of whatever your your situation was by doing it now. It's you know, you're gonna pay or or not pay or not get paid uh, based on whatever you were at the end of the regular season. Are there teams right now that are at least a uh, bubble floor teams in your opinion? Uh, I mean, Houston could be, it doesn't sound like they're going to be. It sounds like they're <laughs> pretty determined yeah. to spend every dime <laughs> that they have available one way or another. Um, you know, whether that's on James Harden or a whole bunch of other guys, um, we'll, we'll see. Um, so no, not really. I think teams will generally, it's pretty rare that a team finishes under the floor. Um, it, it, it's one team every few years or so okay. uh, that, that this happens since it's become a thing. So I don't think this will become a regular occurrence because of these new penalties. And I don't think we'll have anybody in that spot this summer. I think everybody's going to be pretty motivated to at least spend whatever cap space they have available. All right. A couple more things. We'll get you out of here. Uh, you've mentioned this a couple of times, and I, th- I think the answer is complicated. When do this, when does the new CBA and, and some of these rules actually take effect? Is it a, is it a some now, some later scenario? Yeah, it is. So some of these things kick in right away. There is, um, you know, they, they, they provided a whole translation table that is quite honestly hurts my head to try and read and understand because some of it is starts right now on July 1st. Some of the things kick in uh, post trade deadline. Some of the things kick in when the season ends. There's there's a lot of stuff. But the main thing to know is uh, some of the things like as far as the losing the taxpayer mid-level, um, those sorts of things, the things that are like I kind of call them the Warriors and Clippers penalties. Those are all starting right now is when those all, you know, kick in and start some of the other things that are even more restrictive as far as can you make trades? Can you aggregate salaries and trades? Can you sign uh, um, players on the buyout market? That's another restriction we didn't talk about. Um, That one will start right now, but some of the trade restriction things, some of the tax multipliers, some of the things I'm losing and people have probably heard draft picks get pushed to the back of the round and can't be traded. Most of those kick in with the, the 24, 25 season. It's pretty aggressive. I mean, it's a pretty big reaction to what the Warriors have done to this league. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's something else. We'll see if if it sticks. You know, it seems like it's a bit over dramatic, but I guess there's logic for for most of these things to stick around. But I I, I have a feeling some of these things fall by the wayside at some point in time. Uh, yeah, it, I think what it is is they've gone so far in on this side. And then I think what you're going to see is you're going to see some of these things dialed back right. in the, the next round of CBA negotiations. Cause they'll say, all right. Cause what you saw is, you know, they gave everybody, you know, more or less this uh, grace period year, which the intention was get your books in order. And the Phoenix sun said, cool, grace period year. Let's add even more spy <laughs> and blew right past it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it goes back to everybody feels differently about how they build a roster. Every ownership group will okay different things. So, you know, it's there, there's a lot of unintended consequences. And when we start learning some of them, we're going to see some of these things be, oh boy, let's, uh, you know, change change the value of this. I just think, and I'm being selfish because of what, what I do for a living and you as well, I, I just think the transactions are going to decrease mightily. And that's a bad thing for the league. That's To me, that's the best part of the NBA is that every year we're talking about, you know, f- three dozen moves that either we didn't see coming or are as big as any move that any other league has on any offseason. So I, I just don't want those to go away. I think it's kind of their superpower. 
And I realize what they're doing, but I think they're kind of taking away some of their kryptonite here. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm not, you know, we've already seen some massive trades made in the NBA, right? We saw the Beal trade. We saw the Porzingis trade. We saw Chris Paul for Jordan Poole traded. There were a couple other smaller trades. It's what the NBA has kind of become, though, because more players extend than ever and those sorts of things. We've seen the league turn into more of a trade-heavy league versus for a little while there was like, oh, man, everybody's going to sign, and that's going to reset everything around the league. Now it's turned into a lot more of uh, teams are going to do it through trades. But but, but we'll, we'll see. I, I, th- I think we could see some of that for sure, if, especially when the full effect of these kick in over the next two seasons. Then we may see some teams really kind of locked in and stuck in place. Yeah, you did mention that they've they've made, it, made trading a little easier, so it, it appears that they're kind of preparing for the yin and yang process of this whole thing. Um, speaking of which the other side of this, right? There's the unrestricted free agency, which is kind of boring, generally speaking (laughs) in this league, uh, unless they turn into signing trades, then it becomes extremely complicated and fun and time. Or James Harden decides he wants to go to Houston. Which is fun. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Super fun. Um, what about the restricted free agency, which is, seems like it's going to have some juice this year. There's at least two candidates, Cam Johnson, Austin Reeves. You never know who else kind of sneaks up behind us. But yep. what's the process? Uh, you know, what's the, the term to match? What happens if a match does happen or doesn't happen? Is there any kind of compensation going back? Just kind of lay out that process for us. Yeah, so there's two different kinds of restricted free agencies. Your standard restricted free agents, that would be your Cam Johnsons of the world. He's probably the, the primary one of those this year. So what happens is if Cam Johnson signs an offer sheet with a team that is not the Brooklyn Nets, in the new CBA, which will this is one of the things that kicks in on July 1st, they will have 24 hours to match that deal. There's no that. more. I love Oh, that. my God. When I first started getting super into this stuff, it was 10 days yeah. to, to match. Yeah, football's and, I mean, a week. So, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's just it, – it's nuts because by the time it's done, it's like everybody's already gone home for the summer. And also, so, we all, we, we've been – everybody knows what everybody else is going to do. You know what I mean? They've, they, the moratorium yeah. is sort of like the unofficial, let's just get it done now. We all know what's going to happen, so you don't need yeah. a week. <laughs> and there were situations, and I'm not, I promise you I'm not making this up because what happened was – this was back when it was three days to match. Yeah. Teams had three days, and there was a situation – in Las Vegas at Summer League, where a team signed a player to an offer sheet, it used to have to be, it was kind of like like a court summons or serving papers to somebody. You had to give them a physical copy uh, to a team. Oh, and the, te- the team who had the player's rights literally hid from the other team. Like, just <laughs> ran and hid because the it's clock like doesn't start. N- notice papers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's insane, right? So it's like, it's one of those things that, that now they've changed it. Everybody's far more grown up about it. It's all done electronically and it is player signed. You get 24 hours. So Cam Johnson signs an offer sheet somewhere else. If the Nets choose to match, they match the exact terms of that offer sheet, whatever they were. So generally, if you want to get another player uh, from a team in restricted free agency, the going theory is you probably have to overpay them a little bit because you have to make it so their team will let them go. Then you generally do. I like to say they put in all the bells and whistles. Put in a trade bonus. You give them a player option on the last year. Uh, you can do things. This doesn't affect anything as far as the cap or tax goes, but you change the payment structure, which is they can get 50% of the contract paid to them out up front, mm. um, you know, right on the first payment day um, and those kind of things. So you put all the bells and whistles in there. If the Nets don't like it with Cam Johnson, they say, see you later. Go to the Detroit Pistons, who are one of the rumored teams to be interested in him. Good luck. 
If the Nets want to keep him, they just match it. They keep him. If they lose him, that's it. It's just gone. You get nothing out no, of They it. get a second-round pick, right, Keith? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nothing. In the end, uh, this this one still baffles me. Now, this one still baffles now, me. I think they should get something. You, you, yeah, and it's it's funny because you should either get something or we should kind of blow the whole thing up and yeah. rework it entirely. Because what happens in restricted free agency, if you're a a fan of a team with the player that is a restricted free agent, you love it the way it works right now because it's so onerous to try to get a player to leave. Right. If you you are the fan of the player, you're a fan of a team trying to sign the other player. You hate it because again, it's so onerous to get a player to leave. So, so it's just kind of depending on your viewpoint, but what happens in some of these cases, the Indiana Pacers are very famous with this. They don't like to play the restricted free agent game. So what they'll do is say, here's what we're going to sign the player to. If you want, let's work out a sign and trade deal so we can make this mutually beneficial. And if you don't want to, then we'll just move forward with the process. So they, they, they kind of give everybody the chance and then we'll see the other type of restricted free agent, which this is Austin Reeves this summer is an arenas restricted free agent. In those situations, you are limited in how much you can pay the player. It's basically a hundred million dollars this coming off season. But what happens is if you're another team, you offer uh, Austin Reeves $100 million, you will bring him onto your books at $25 million a year. Flat, that's what it is. You take whatever the, the number is, you spread it evenly across the terms of the deal. If you don't, if you are the Lakers and you say, no way, we're matching that $100 million, how that, how that does that through the arenas provision for the Lakers is they would get him at the equivalent to the taxpayer mid, non-taxpayer mid-level so about 12.4 million, mm -hmm. then a bump off of that. Then we're sitting, we've paid out about, let's call it 25 million. There's still 75 million to be paid out in that contract. That gets split between years three and four. Yeah. So it'd be split basically kind of like, you know, let's call it 30, you know, 36 million and 37 million, whatever that works out to, yeah. whatever that math ends up being 37 and 30, 38. So that's you know roughly how that splits out. So it kind of I always say it goes from you know mid level mid level max max is basically what that jumps to in that situation. That's where where you would see this land out. So that's basically where we're at in this situation um, with the uh, with, with the Lakers and Austin Reeves. So that's where where you you could see that in the arena situation, and it just makes it a little bit more of a tricky process where it is. Boy, we can match, but then in two years, Austin Reeves is on our books at you know thirty six million dollars or whatever it works out to be. And with the arenas rule, the difference between Cam Johnson and Austin Reeves is service time. Is that what we're talking that's about? That's correct. Here? Yep. Okay. Yep. Arenas provision is for players with one or two years of service in the league, uh, three or four years of regular restricted free agents. In the case of Johnson, he's a first round rookie scale restricted free agent. So that means his did not come to a contract extension. So his contract is, is expiring, but the Nets have the right with restricted free agency too. They're not automatically restricted free agents. Teams have to tender what's called a qualifying offer, which means that's how you basically you, you retain the right to match on the contract and um, you have to tender that. If you don't tender the qualifying offer, the player does become an unrestricted free agent. Okay. I'm going to get you out of here on an actual free agent question because right there we go. that's where we're headed. I mean, that's what this is all about. And yeah, you know, it's going to come and go. The, the Dame trade is going to swallow up this stuff before, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know how this works. 
Uh, who, who's the breadwinner of this entire unrestricted free agency? Uh, Harden seems like the safe answer, but I feel like Chris Middleton could jump into this conversation if he leaves Milwaukee. I, I don't think Kyrie Irving is a max player anymore. I don't think Jeremy Grant is a max player. But we've seen crazier things happen, right? Because there's just not a lot of juice on this market. So teams that have to get a guy generally go big on free agency still. So where's your head with this? Is it going to be Harden back at Philly on a max contract in terms of four years because of the, his age restriction? Yeah, um, it's tough. I'm going to say it's between Harden and Kyrie Irving. Ooh. Um, I think Dallas is just going to give Kyrie the max. Really? The question with both of those guys is, is either one of them going to get a four-year max? Kyrie, I'm going to take the five-year max off the, the table. Okay. Um, I just don't know that Dallas wants to lock in for that long. And I want to say I don't know if Kyrie wants to lock in for that long either. He may say, yeah, let's do two years, and then we'll figure it out two years from now. Um, I think they're both going to get max money in year one. I think they both get the $47.6 million max in year one. The question will be length of contract. It does not sound like Philadelphia wants to go for Harden out to the full, um, you know, four years that they can give him. The reason it's four versus five is because he runs into the over 38 rule, which functionally limits us to a four year contract. So what happens is, um, I think Philly's going to say, let's do two years. I think Dallas and Kyrie, he may get a third year, just he's enough younger where that may make a little bit more sense. And and we'll see um, out of that. But yeah, I think that it's going to be one of the two of them. The potential you're right. Could be Chris Middleton only because Chris Middleton could get the, you know, four years uh, with another extra year added on to the end. An important thing to watch with all of these guys is what teams have started doing with older players, with players with injury history or players with, let's just call it other history. (laughs) Um, They've started to put either team options or partial or Mm non-guaranteed years on the final year of a contract, which gives them a measure of team control. Um, That may be something we see with all three of those players that you mentioned. Jeremy Grant's just, I'm going to take, knock him down a whole salary peg. Um, He's just not at the same level as those guys. Even if I do think he will still get a very nice contract this summer. I do too. Uh, Both Doncic and Embiid are on three plus ones. Yep. So that might answer your question right there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you start talking. Yeah, and, and we're going to see some of that. I, like Draymond Green, for example, I think tend to think he goes back to the Warriors, but instead of you know saying, "Hey, I want the four years you can give me" or whatever, no, I want to go to let the Warriors are probably going to say, "Let's do three and align you with Stephen yeah. Curry." Yeah. So that way, you know, we're you know, if in three years from now Curry decides he's done, we can fully hit the reset button and start all over with this thing. So you, you're seeing teams get a little bit more. Uh, proactive about trying to do those things when and where they can every once in a while you see somebody hit the market and they're like well i don't really have any other choice i have to go you know full max and i'm going to give them everything and sometimes that happens in an extension kind of conversation that's kind of where boston's at with Jalen brown because it's you start playing games you're on the risk of making them angry and then maybe start to think about do i really want to be here or not so those are all the things you kind of run into so a lot a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to come even if it's not the greatest deepest free agent class we've ever seen there's still you know some key guys that are going to kind of control the market a little bit here i'm going to bring us back full circle 
Draymond signs a three-year deal. Steph and Draymond both walk away together, and the 2026-27 Golden State Warriors become the first team to rip it all down, Keith. Full renounce, full everything. <laughs> they clear the decks for the offseason oh, and start I, from $12 million as you're assessing here. <laughs> I, I would be in heaven if, if that's where, where that went to. You know, we would be talking, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of cap space to spend. And who knows? I mean, they 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 like to envision themselves as innovators out there. So maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that is the direction this all comes together. The on. time we could spend on the roster manager tool, just rebuilding that team from right? from ground zero. <laughs> would be incredible. Great. Ask Scott to add a few years further out on the uh, <laughs> roster management tool. That, I'm sure he'll love that idea. <laughs> We're going to put that low on the prioritization list. Yeah, exactly. Keith, this is great stuff, man. I appreciate your, your insight and your education with this. I'm sure it helped a lot of people out today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. My thanks to Keith. He knows his, you know what, uh, it's his time of year to shine. July 1st is the start of the league year. July 6th is when things become official got a lot of unofficial news already out there plenty more to come we mentioned some of those names but there's always a few surprises at, at this time of year in this league that just does not stop pumping out content it's just kind of the uh, the gift that keeps on giving my thanks to keith he's at keith smith nba on twitter you can find his work all over spottrack.com right now and that will continue all through the summer as more moves are made in the nba for scott allen my name is mike Gennetti. thanks for listening to this edition of the spot track podcast <laughs>